0: Uh, we are starting a brand new series today. The beginning of the month is uh, usually the start of a new series for us, and we do this intentionally, and, and uh, excited about the, the series we're starting today called Under Construction, and uh, it's kind of a happy coincidence that we're actually also doing some renovations here in the building uh, that you're going to see more of over the next few months. Uh, probably see some signs that say excuse our mess, and uh, that's, not a, that's not a spiritual implication, that's a literal mess that we're probably going to have in here over the next few months, but uh, we've already started some of them. In fact, upstairs, a lot of the kids have moved upstairs today. We did some renovations up there and in the kids' department, so uh, really excited about that, but that's not what this series is about. This series is actually about the uh, building blocks of faith, and uh, how many of you know that God's plan for us is that we're always under construction in our spiritual walk? We're always growing in our faith, and if we're healthy and we're doing it the way it's designed to be, uh, it's, it's always going to have most of the same principles involved in it, right? It's going to be about Surrendering to the leading and the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's going to include the Word of God in our life. It's going to include prayer and discipleship and devotion and, and all of those things, right? How I many you know that it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 60 years or if you're still kicking the tires of faith, that construction in your faith is important. And no matter where you are in your walk, I believe this series is going to be for you. And I'm actually really excited about it. And so I am going to start off and kick off this series with my text verse for this morning, which is out of First Peter. And so if you would stand with me, please, and we're going to just honor God's word together. If you do not have a Bible that will be on the screen behind me, uh, by the way, I do encourage you to bring your Bible to church. That's still an okay thing to do. Paper Bibles are a good thing. I love mine, and I, I can find verses in there quicker than I can find them online because I know what page they're on. And uh, I can actually tell you where a lot of the stuff is by it's in the left column about halfway down because I've read it so many times. So uh, paper Bibles are good too. But if you don't have it, it'll be on the screen. You can also use your phone as well. Uh, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 5. It says, as you come to him, the living stone, stone is capitalized there, so that's Jesus, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. We are all under construction in our life to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus christ it's a beautiful verse beautiful promise of who god is for us i want to share with you today the idea of building on the gospel would you pray with me this morning our heavenly father we thank you so much for this time that we have together god we are so blessed to come together in the fellowship of believers. And Lord, we are here today for you. We are here for you, Lord. Would you do your work today, God? Lord, we pray that you would convict, that you would encourage, that you would challenge, and that you would transform us today, God. Lord, let your word do its work in our hearts today. We desperately need you, Jesus. Whether we know it or not, we are desperate for you. Would you let us know today how desperate we really are for you? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. So when we start a new series, uh, we prayerfully consider um, how to go about it. Um, our heart behind it is always that it would be something that's relevant for what we're dealing with in 2022, but also that it would be timeless. Because I of mean, you know, the gospel and the, and the Bible is timeless. It's always relevant. And we're always wanting to make sure that it, it pertains to where we are today, but that it affects, it, that it applies to any area of life and wherever you are in your journey of faith. And this series is no different. And uh, I, I want to start off this series today uh, with something that's kind of heavy on my heart. And uh, and if it, for many of you, it probably is too. Uh, you know, being in vocational church ministry, um, so much of what I do is just focused on the church and on new hope but on the church at large too and I just I like to gather information if you looked at the search history on my computer it's a lot of just looking at church stuff and and where what where the church is and getting a lot of information about how churches are doing and 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 how the the church is spreading and what's happening what are the challenges in the church and and what we're seeing a lot today is that there is no doubt that the church itself is in a bit of a crisis That there are lots of people that are rejecting organized church all over the country. We're seeing it in, in droves, in alarming amounts, really. And it, even more alarming that people are, than that people are uh, rejecting the church, they're actually rejecting their faith. There's a, there's a whole movement out there. In fact, there was a term that was coined a few years ago called ex-evangelicals. A lot of pe- people identify with that. Basically, they're ex-evangelicals. They don't uh, subscribe to that faith anymore. And, uh, and that's heartbreaking. And, and you've probably heard the term deconstruction, where a lot of people are, are deconstructing their faith. And what that basically means is people are tearing down, instead of constructing and building their faith, they're tearing it down to see if what they have been taught their whole life is what they really believe, or if they are just doing it because they have been riding on their parents' coattails their whole life, right? Now, this idea of deconstruction is nothing new. The term is fairly new, but the idea is not new at all. People have been doing this for as long as there has been a faith out there. In fact, I remember for myself personally, it was about 30 years ago now that I deconstructed my faith because I grew up in the church, but I got to a place where I was at a crisis of faith and I, I just didn't know if I really believed what I'd been taught my whole life and it just didn't feel right how I was approaching my faith and so I tore it all down and decided I'm, I'm, I'm gonna find out for myself. But the beauty of my process was that when I did it, it actually led me to the Word and for the first time in my life, I actually read my Bible. I buried my face in it and I learned Everything about my faith through the Word of God, not just from other people. And I actually got saved reading my Bible. So it was a beautiful thing. And, and deconstruction is not necessarily a bad thing if it causes us to reconstruct our own faith. Unfortunately, what we're seeing, the bigger trend is that people are deconstructing and eventually getting to the point where they're deconverting is the word, where they're walking away from the faith. And because of social media and because of all the networking we can do today, there's actually... Uh, it's actually celebrated now when people are walking away from their faith. They're being called courageous and strong for, for standing up for themselves and rejecting this organized religion that we are perpetuating in the United States and around the world. And that's, that's heartbreaking to me. It's very heavy on my heart, not even just as a pastor, but as a brother and sister in Christ to think that so many people are, are rejecting this faith, that they're choosing the wrong side of eternity is heartbreaking. Because we're not meant to deconstruct and deconvert. We're meant to build our faith. Jesus' heart for us, his design for us is that our faith would grow, that it would be built upon itself and that we would be taking our next steps in our faith all the time. We talk about that all the time here at New Hope and it's because we believe in it because it's scriptural, that we would always be growing in our faith and we, don't, and we would look to, to uh, um, encourage and build it up not to tear it down in our life. And a disproportionate amount of people that have been raised in church are actually doing this. They're tearing it down. And even some church leaders and people that are, you know, famous Christians we've seen over the last few years have publicly renounced their faith. And it's devastating. It's heartbreaking. And because of, you know, the way that we're all connected now electronically, somebody does that. Everybody knows about it, right? And if they're not walking away, many are are accepting a distorted view of Christianity that really doesn't line up with the word of God. They're kind of reconverting into this new progressive Christianity that really isn't Christianity at all because it's rejecting faith in God. And so this is something that should definitely affect us as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Now, that being said, I will say we don't need to be in fear. We don't need to be in, in despair over it. I believe through all of it that God is completely sovereign. Right in the midst of it, he's totally sovereign. I believe that God has a plan for this. This isn't catching him off guard. He's not up there wringing his hands, wondering what he should do. I believe he's actually going to use this to build up his church. I believe that we're not far from seeing a time where people are going to be coming to church, not because of, a superstar pastor, or because of incredible communicators, or because of a really good bands, or music, or amazing lighting, or great seats, or beautiful facilities, but they're actually going to be coming to church for the reason we're supposed to be coming, and that is for Jesus. Amen. I believe that with all of my heart. Because if I didn't, I might be in a little bit of despair. But I don't believe it just because I want to believe it. I believe it's what the Lord has shown me. That he is building up his church, and that it's actually going to be really, really good. But it doesn't change the fact that there is deconstruction out there, and we have to make sure that we are not falling into that ourselves. And if that is you today, if you're here today and you're like, yeah, you know what, I've really been struggling with doubt, and been wondering if I really believe what I say I believe, and do I, you know, is this, is this whole Christian thing, is, is it the right religion, is it maybe one of the other ones, and you're, you're dealing with it and you're struggling with it, I want you to know our heart is for you, and I'm glad you're here. Or if you're listening online, I'm glad you're listening and because I believe the Lord brought you to this place for a purpose and for a reason. And, and it's not, there's not a Christian out there that doesn't struggle with doubt at times in their life, in their faith. The key is that our doubt is meant to draw us to Jesus, not push us away from him. When I had doubt 30 years ago, it, I buried my face in my Bible, it drew me to Jesus, and I feel like I got saved for the first time, even though I was in church my whole life. But if our doubt is taking us away from our faith, it's taken us away from Jesus and causing us to reject him, that's where we are in error, right? That's where we are at a place where we need to declare DEFCON 1 in our life and make sure that we are not allowing that to tear us down completely in our life. And so something has caused the people that have uh, completely rejected faith has caused them to reject the truth that's in the text verse that I read this morning from 1 Peter. that that we have a living stone, and that as we are in him, that we are like living stones, and that what he has done is he's building us into a spiritual house, a priesthood, that is acceptable to God. So people have been rejecting that, and I I wanna talk today about what that, uh, the, the principles that we can live in in our own life, that we can apply to our life, that will help us to keep us from rejecting the truth of who he is, because this verse tells us that Jesus is the stone He's the, he's the stone, and that stone there is he's, he's referred to a stone oftentimes in Scripture. Actually, there's about two other places at least where he's the cornerstone, right, that the house is built on, and, and that's the most important part of the foundation of the house. So he is the foundation that our faith is built on, right? But what's beautiful about that verse is he's not just a stone that's the foundation. It says he's the living stone. So he's the living foundation for each one of us. And then on top of that, as we are in him, we are like living stones. I mean, this is the gospel. It basically, he's taken us from death to life. Amen. He's taken us from bondage to freedom, from darkness to light. This is the gospel, yes. and it's so, so beautiful, and we are going to always have to keep coming back to the gospel because the gospel is what causes our life to be built up, our spiritual life and our natural life. It is all about the gospel. And no matter how many times you've heard the gospel, you need to hear it again. That's right. No matter how many times, and the gospel should always be moving our heart. It should, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're a Christian, you've 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 understood and accepted the gospel, and you are living as a disciple of Christ. The the gospel, when it is told, should move our heart. No matter how many times we've heard it, and if it doesn't, it's time to be concerned in our life. It's not too late. But it's time for us to take notice if the gospel doesn't move our hearts. And if you're thinking, if you're sitting here thinking, oh man, here he goes again, talking about the gospel. Ah, Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, I get it. I've actually heard of a, a pastor was telling me one time that uh, he preached the gospel at his church on a Sunday, and he stood at the back as people were leaving, shaking hands and greeting them. And one guy, an, an elder in the church that had been there for a long time, came up, shook his hand and said, pastor, can you stop preaching the gospel every Sunday? It's like, we've heard it enough already. <laughs> Let me tell you, if that's you, like if you get tired of hearing about Jesus on the cross because you get it, you don't get it. That's right. You don't get it. We need to be reminded of the gospel all the time. You know, I equate it to, to like if you're married here, or you have kids, right? Let's, let's talk about marriage. You, you tell your spouse you love them all the time, hopefully, and they tell you they love you a lot, you know? Joy and I tell each other we love each other all the time. We don't just do it once, right? We do it all the time. Why? Because it stirs our heart, right? It stirs our heart. If she doesn't tell me she loves me for a few months, I still know she loves me, but there's something about it that stirs our heart, right? I heard, a guy, I heard about a guy one time, and I hope this is just a fable. I hope it's not true, but it might be. But a guy said that uh, his, his wife came in one day and said, why don't you ever tell me that you love me? And he said that he told her, I told you I loved you on our wedding day. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. (laughs) It can't be true because he's still alive. (laughs) But we find that ridiculous, right? That you would say something like that. It's the same thing with the gospel. Because when we hear the gospel, it stirs our heart. It is what keeps us from from going into these places where we feel like, I don't even know if I believe this. Right? Right? We have to be constantly reminded of the gospel. And if you want to make your faith deconstruction-proof or deconversion-proof, it's important that we remind ourselves every day about the gospel. And we hear it often. I I don't know about you, but I, I, I try to pray it every day, just thanking Jesus for the cross. And I tell you, it never gets old. It never, ever gets old. When we sing about it in worship and just being with him, it never gets old. Now, there's sometimes your heart's more moved than others, of course, but it should never get old for us hearing the truth of the gospel and who Jesus is and what he did for you and for me. Christians need to be reminded of the gospel just as much, if not more, than non-Christians. And it's biblical because if you know your New Testament and you know some of the letters of Paul, the epistles of Paul, you know that when, uh, when he was writing his letter to the Philippians, he was reminding them of the gospel of the church, to the church in Philippi. In his letter to the Galatians, he was reminding the church in Galatia about the gospel. In his letter to Rome, the Romans church, that was reminding them about the gospel. He was constantly reminding Christians about the gospel. Most of his letters were written to Christians. In fact, in Corinthians, he, he, wrote, the church, he wrote the letter to the church in Corinth and reminded them about the gospel. And it's in 1 Corinthians 15. is a great verse. Or a great chapter. The first two verses say it very clearly. It says, Now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. Praise God. That I preach to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. He says, so I'm wanting to remind you of the gospel because it's not enough that you believe. This goes against a lot of doctrine. He's saying you need to be reminded of the gospel because you need to hold firmly to it. Otherwise you have believed in vain. Did you know you can believe the gospel in vain? In fact, I would go as, I would go as far as to say that there are lots of of church people that have believed the gospel in vain because they're not holding firmly to it, because they're not reminding themselves of the truth of it. He says you are saved if you hold firmly, if you hold on to this gospel, if you live out this gospel. If not, you've believed it in vain. In other words, he's saying you might have believed it, but it's not doing you any good. That's a tough verse that we can easily read and just kind of skirt over and think, well, that doesn't apply to me but we need to make sure it doesn't because we're being reminded of the gospel on a consistent basis. It's important that we remember and we're reminded of the gospel. And the gospel is what builds our life. We are under construction in our spiritual walk. What builds our life is the gospel. This is the foundation. But you know, um, I wanna give you a few points today on how these principles of how we build the gospel in our life, how we hold firmly to the gospel in our life, okay? And the first one is to remember the offense. Now, this completely goes against any forgiveness teaching you'll ever hear. (laughs) We don't remember the the offense in forgiveness, okay? If you need to forgive someone, you, you forgive the offense. But you know, the Bible talks a lot about the fact that the gospel is offensive, right? Most times, though, it's, it's concerning those that don't believe. You know, it says that it is foolishness to those who are perishing. In fact, in one place it says that Jesus is the rock of offense. And that's for people that don't believe in him. But you know, I would propose to you today that the gospel is offensive to Christians too. It's offensive because it's offensive to our, the way we are wired in and of ourselves. Our human nature is not to want to receive the gospel because the gospel goes against everything we've ever known or ever wanted in our life in our sin nature in our natural self so the gospel is actually offensive it is offensive to everything inside of us and it's important that we remember how offensive it is because that way when we are struggling with it it doesn't take us off guard that we're that we're struggling with the the demands that the gospel has on us, right? In fact, the Bible suggests that if we just receive the gospel with joy, that it's actually a, a sign that we're incredibly shallow in our faith. You know, Jesus talked about in, in the three synoptic gospels, Jesus talks about the, the soil and the seed. He says, you know, the word of God is like seed that's thrown out on soil, right? And, and the type of soil depends on whether or not the seed will produce in the person's life. That's why we talk about the soil of our heart, that we want to have good soil, because three of the four soils he talks about don't do real well. And one of them specifically talks about the shallowness of faith. It's in Mark 4 and verse 16 and 17. Look what it says. It says, Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, They quickly fall away. They quickly deconstruct. They quickly deconvert when trouble or persecution comes because they're shallow. He's saying that if you just receive it with joy, and if maybe you received the gospel with joy, you probably have missed the gravity of the depth of this decision that you're making because he's saying the rocky soil doesn't let the root go down deep, it's shallow, and so it's really happy and excited to be part of the Christian faith for a season, but then wait a minute, trouble's coming, and I'm realizing that the gospel's offensive to what I really want, so many people end up walking away because they don't have the depth that is required, and if you really understand the gospel, you understand that the gospel is offensive to our sin nature, and we can still receive it with joy, okay? It doesn't mean you shouldn't be joyful when you get saved, okay? We're not going that far but it, there has to be an understanding that this is, there is a depth to this that is going to require my death. It's going to require me. See, too often times, and if we just receive with joy, most likely what's happening is the transaction of salvation in your life is really just one way. You're just receiving Jesus into your heart, right? You've heard that many times. Maybe you've even said that. You know, I received Jesus in my heart when I was eight years old. You know, I just, I received him, I received him. We talk about receiving him in our heart, letting him come into our life. And that's wonderful and that's good, but that's only half of it. Because when Jesus comes into our life, there's a demand on us because of the gospel that we in turn give him our life. It's not just one-sided that he just comes in and does everything and whoo, I just get to go to heaven and this is really great. But it really, there's a requirement on us that is pretty extreme, he says, you have to take up your cross and follow me. He says, you have to deny yourself. He said, not only that, you're, now you're third in your life. You're not even first or second anymore. How can that not be offensive to us? To say, okay, now I not only am I not the, the, the master of my own life, I'm not the, the center of my own universe, I'm not even second. The Bible says that we should put others' needs before our own. So now I'm third, and to think that that's not offensive? to our natural, to our nature, is crazy talk. Of course it's offensive, but that's the gospel. It is offensive. Now, it's, it's simple. The concept is simple, and, and the forgiveness of sins is very simple in that it's about believing in him and what he did. But then we hold firmly to this gospel. Holding firmly is about making sure we're giving ourselves to it as well. And we're not just on the receiving end, but we are also giving our life to him as well. And how about if you found out, when you find out that you're not good enough, no matter how good you are, that you're not good enough, that's offensive, right? I mean, who wants to be told, hey, I know you're working really hard at this Christian thing, and you're, you're doing a lot of good stuff, but the Bible tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags to him. So who wants to be told, hey, you're doing a great job, but it's really just a pile of disgusting rags? <laughs> that's offensive. Nobody wants to be told, if your boss tells you that, hey, you're doing a really great job, but it stinks. That's gonna offend us, right, in our nature. Now, obviously, the Spirit of God in us is drawing us to him, and we can still, we can want to give him our life. We can want to lay our lives down and, and take up our cross and follow him because of his Spirit in us, but that's the only force in us that's wanting to do that. So in us, it's offensive in our personal nature. And oftentimes, we try to avoid the offense of the gospel, but we actually need to embrace it. Because when we embrace it, this is when we start to crucify our flesh. This is where we start to understand that I am crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. That's, we have to understand the offense to even be able to venture into those waters, to be able to say, yes, I am crucified with Christ. That's offensive. Who wants to be crucified? Right? Like everything about me has to die for me to live for Jesus and to be a follower of Jesus. See, we make the mistake of thinking that the gospel is the doorway into salvation, right? You got this house, and if I wanna get into this house of salvation where I'm a Christian, I walk through the doorway of the gospel to get in. That's a mistake. That's not really what it is. The doorway is part of it, but the doorway, let me tell you, when you go into a room and you have to walk through a door to get into that room, or you go into a house and you walk through the door to get into the house, the only time you think about that door is while you're going through it. Once you get in, you're not thinking about that door anymore. You're thinking about all the stuff that's in the house now, right? You only think about your door if you need to go in or out of it. And that's not what the gospel is meant to be for us. It's not just a doorway to get into this place of salvation where we can just bask in the beauty of being saved. The gospel is not just the door. It is the door, but it's also the room. It's also the floor. It's the walls. It's the ceiling. It's all the furniture. It's the roof. It's the siding. It's the drywall. It's the paint. The gospel is everything about our salvation. It's everything, it's not just the doorway, and and we have to understand that if we're going to live a life in such a way that's going to keep us from getting to that place where we don't feel like we need this faith anymore. It has to be offensive to really make a difference in our life, and often what we want to do is just skirt over that and make up our own moral code, right? Right? to skip over the offense of the gospel, just do the receiving part. I received Jesus into my life, and now I'm going to live by this moral code and try to be a good person. That just, I just explained a, a big percentage of the church. I received Jesus. Now I'm going to try to be the best Christian I can be, when that's not really what it's about at all. And we get into this, we, we start to live by this moral code, and what it actually does is it hurts us more than it helps us. Which brings me to my second point, is that we have to break out of the moral code. If we really if the gospel's really going to build our life, we have to break out of this moral this idea of a moral code that we have to live as Christians. And this is one of the biggest challenges in our faith. Absolutely one of the biggest challenges. It is in our nature to follow a moral code even as Christians because that is easier than laying down my life. Right? It's a lot easier to just try to you know, be a good person and, and do what I think I'm supposed to do than it is to really come before Jesus and say, my life is yours, Lord. Lord, I'm laying down my life. My life is yours. Whatever you want, not my will, but your will be done. Not my kingdom, your kingdom come. That's a lot harder than saying, yeah, you know what? I can not get drunk. I can not have sex outside of marriage. I can stop cussing. I can, you know, I, I listen to, you know, 80% Christian music and just 20% the other. You know, whatever it is. I don't know what the the moral code is for the music nowadays. You know, when I was a kid, it was, you could only listen to Christian and country. Rock and roll was from the devil. But country was just fine, you know. Weird, but. Anyway, but we have this moral code. And it's really contrary to the gospel. It actually keeps us from understanding and living out the gospel and letting the gospel build our life. Church, if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. The Christian life is not about looking like a Christian. It's about Jesus. That's it. It's about Jesus. Now listen, if you love Jesus, you'll look like a Christian. But we get the priority mixed up. Like, oh, okay, I'm a Christian, so now I need to look like a Christian. And we spend our energy looking like a Christian and not giving our life to Jesus. The beauty is, as you give your life to Jesus, he will change your heart. He gives you a new heart. He, he, he He forms you into his likeness. He gives you the mind of Christ to where you actually start to live out this moral code, but without actually making it the sum total of who you are. It's a response to the grace of God in you and the grace of God and the effects of it on your life. But sometimes we try to achieve the grace of God by living out this code when really it's the opposite. It's about experiencing God's grace in your life and that propelling you into living this life that he's called you to live. We see a great example of this actually in the Old Testament in uh, 2 Kings chapter 17. So I'll set it up for just a second, but by the time we get to the 17th chapter of 2 Kings, Israel is divided into two kingdoms, the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. You got Israel and Judah, right? and Israel was completely wicked, completely abandoned God, and Judah was just mostly wicked. (laughs) They were still trying a little bit. But the Northern Kingdom was so bad, God judged them, and the king of Assyria uh, attacked the Northern Kingdom and took all the Israelites out of the Northern Kingdom. And what he did was he replaced that land with some of the other places that he had conquered, other people to try to colonize that area, okay? But the Jews were not in there, it was other people. And so we'll pick up the story in 2 Kings 17, in verse 25. It says, When they first lived there, these new people that the king brought into into Israel, they did not worship the Lord, so he sent lions among them and killed some of the people. The Lord sent lions and killed some of the people. It was reported to the king of Assyria, The people you deported and resettled in the towns of Samaria do not know what the God of that country requires. He has sent lions among them, which are killing them off, because the people do not know what he requires. Then the king of Assyria gave this order. Have one of the priests you took captive from Samaria go back to live there and teach the people what the God of the land requires. So one of the priests who had been exiled from Samaria came to live in Bethel and taught them how to worship the Lord. Now, I'm not going to, I can't read the whole story, but it does not go well, because all they were doing was going through the motions. I mean, the, the logic of this is actually so funny. The king is, is saying, oh my goodness, their lions are coming. The God, their God is sending lions to kill our people off because they're not worshiping. Let's get one of the priests that we took out of there and put him in there so he can show them how they need to do it. Is it one hand or two? Is it bowing? What is it, right? And so they go get a priest, which is hilarious because the reason the Israelites were exiled was because they weren't worshiping God the right way anyway. But they went and got him and brought him in. He tried to show them how to do it. But they brought their other gods and all these pagan rituals and everything else and it didn't work out well for them at all. But that was the logic and it seems ridiculous, right? That They were just like, hey, what do I need to do? Do I need to say some Hail Marys? Do I need to, you know, stand on one foot? Do I need to, fa- what do I need to do, right? And instead of um, actually repenting and living for this God, they're saying, well, what's, the, what's the, the practical stuff I have to do to get him to bless me? And it's ridiculous. It's worthy of ridicule, right? Yet we do the exact same thing. I was so convicted as I read this. I was like, that's what we do. That's that's our tendency, is to go back to that place of like, okay, God, what do I need to do for you to bless me? What do I need to do to get your grace in my life? What do I need to do to get your mercy? What do I need to do to to, to have you answer my prayers the way I want them to be answered? What do I need to do, God? And we try to manipulate him by going through the motions and doing the things we think he would want us to do. But the reality is what God wants us to do is to experience him and to do the things we do in response to his grace, not to try to get his grace or manipulate him to give us his grace. And we get it backwards all the time. We we subscribe to this moral code to try to get God to do what we want him to do. We modify our behavior. We come up with this list of do's and don'ts that we think Christians do and don't do, and we follow that, hoping that God will bless us. And church, we miss it when we do that we missed it. What he wants is a life laid down. Yes. He wants a life surrendered to him. That's what he's looking for from each and every one of us. If we focus on his grace and mercy and his goodness, the morality will follow that. That's right. It'll follow it. And Jesus even tells us that. Jesus talks about the trees in Luke 6 verse 43. Look what he says. He says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Do you see what he's saying here? Like, this is misinterpreted all the time. He's saying that there are basically two trees. There's Christian trees and there's non-Christian trees. I, you may, maybe you've never been called a tree before, but congratulations. You're either a Christian tree or you're a non-Christian tree. And the non-Christian tree is going to bear its bad fruit, and the Christian tree is going to bear its good fruit. The, the fruit in our life is a result of the tree and the roots of the tree. So we're, we're still going to have fruit, but we're not called to focus on the fruit. We're called to focus on the root. The root of the tree is Jesus. Jesus. And if we are a good tree, if we are a tree that's focused on him, there will be good fruit in our life. You can't help it. It's the nature of who we are when we are following, serving, and loving Jesus. So we have to reject this idea of this moral code that will get us in good graces with God. I can tell you, those that have walked away, that are rejecting their faith nowadays, you're seeing online and all over the place, I can assure you that many, many, many of them, most of them, Have lived by a moral code that was the anchor to their faith like well this is what i'm supposed to do and they never really experienced the grace of god they just received him into their heart because they wanted salvation and then they tried to live like a good church person should live and you get to the point where you get frustrated and you realize this i don't feel i don't even feel good about this this doesn't even make sense and you end up rejecting the faith because you've focused on that moral code and what happens is you end up condoning sin in your life because if you're living by a moral code That's based on you're wanting to make sure you're doing better than the guy sitting beside you in church, right? So as long as I'm doing better than this guy, I feel pretty good about myself. If I'm getting a C plus, B minus, I'm good. Which means there's sin in our life that we're just condoning. And that's a very, very dangerous place to be. Which leads me to my third point is that we have to hate our sin. If we're really gonna let the gospel build up our life, we're gonna to have to hate our sin. I put this in all caps on purpose because I wanted to be emphatic today that we have to hate our sin, church. It is too easy for us to just condone it and not really have the relationship with it that we are called to have, that we would despise the sin in our life. I mean, we know enough to know that we probably shouldn't do it. Those things in our life, you know, Hebrews talks about the, the sin that easily entangles us. You know, we are to throw it off and run the other way. It's really hard to give up something that you love. It's hard to give that up. That's why sin is hard to give up because sometimes we actually even love it. And we, we justify it because we think, well, oh, you know, I'm, I'm better than these guys over here. And, you know, I'm still doing, I'm still fulfilling most of my moral code, so I'm probably okay. What we do is we get ourselves in a world of hurt. Because we know we shouldn't really do it, but I, I kind of liken it to this, to the idea of like, let's say one day you, for lunch you had, a, uh, you had a bacon double cheeseburger, and it was a big one, and it was good. And you had onion rings to go with it, and you chased it with a milkshake, right? I mean, that sounds really good, doesn't it? Mmm, It's about lunchtime. And, then di- and you think to yourself when you do that, you know what, I'm going to be really good for dinner because I had a pretty rough lunch. And then dinner time comes, you didn't really think through it, and you think, boy, pizza really sounds good. And you know you shouldn't do it, but it's like, I mean, are two bad meals in a day going to kill me, right? I mean, I'm not going to step on the scale for a few days, but it's not going to kill me. That's our relationship with sin too often in our life. Like, I know it's not really good, but, I mean, is it really going to kill me? It's not that big of a deal, right? Everybody struggles with it. Everybody struggles with this. I feel like I'm doing better than half the people I know in it. So it, it, it's got to be, it's not that big of a deal. I don't love it. I don't like it, but, but we don't really hate it. And we have to hate the sin in our life. We have to hate the sin in our life. Do you know sin's design is to destroy you? Sin's design is to keep you from God. It's, to, it's designed to keep you from building on the foundation that God has put in your life. That's the design for sin. And you think, well, I've been doing it for years, and I don't feel like it's really affected me much. Really? Because if, if it hasn't, then the word of God's not true. Because the word of God tells us that sin hardens our heart. We become more, you know how how if there's a certain thing that you struggle with, the more you give into it, the easier it is to give in? That's because your heart's getting hardened towards that sin. That's exactly what happens. That's, That's scriptural. That's what the Bible tells us, is that it will totally deceive us and harden our heart. We need to hate it, to be repulsed by it, to wage war against it, and not definitely not condone it. And God forbid that we would even think that it's not a big deal. And, you know, there's doctrine out there that says it's not a big deal. You know, there's hyper-grace doctrine out there that says, you know what, it doesn't matter. As long as you've said a prayer one time, you're good to go. You're good. God's, God's grace is abundant. It, it, you know, the, the Romans 5 tells us that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. So we can just do whatever, and God's going to be good with it. It's just interesting because in the very next chapter, Paul says, so what does, what does this say then? Should we sin more so that grace would abound more? God forbid. God forbid. And, and really what he is saying there is that if you think that you should sin more so grace could abound more, you don't really know the gospel. You don't really know Jesus. Let me tell you something. If, if there's anything, any principles that someone tries to teach you from the Word of God that an unredeemed heart thinks is awesome, it's probably not doctrinal. right? The unredeemed heart loves the idea that, wait a minute, I can sin as much as I want and grace is just going to cover it? Yeah, sign me up. That's the that's easy way to get people saved. You say just get saved and then God's grace is there forever and you don't have to worry about it anymore. Now, his grace is sufficient. His grace does abound more where sin abounds more. But we can't give ourselves to sin because what we're doing then, John tells us clearly that we are, we are removing ourselves from fellowship with God. So it's not about just giving into it and letting it go. When we mess up, messing up is one thing. Condoning it or thinking it's not a deal is a whole other thing. And we are absolutely called to know that it's a big deal and to hate it in our life. Sin hardens our heart. Hebrews 3 verse 13 and 14. Look what it says. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. There's that, there's that stinking hold firmly again. He keeps telling me I got to hold on. Can't I just say a prayer and be done with it? Hold firmly. The only things you have to hold on firmly to are the things that can get away, right? I don't have to hold on firmly to my shirt because it's fastened on me, it's staying, right? But if I'm holding a bucket full of water, I got to hold on to it because there's always things trying to come into our life to replace those things, to replace the gospel, to replace the truth of God in our life. There's constantly things coming in trying to take the place of that and we have to hold firmly to it. In other words, what he's saying is do not get comfortable in your faith. I can promise you so many that have walked away over the last few years and really forever have lived a life of trying to be comfortable in their faith, of even coming to Jesus because they think it will bring some level of comfort in their life. Now again, the Holy Spirit does comfort us. There's a difference between Him comforting us and giving us a peace that surpasses understanding and just looking to live a comfortable life with our feet propped up sipping on sweet tea every day. That's not how our faith is supposed to look. The gospel is offensive. And there's sin that's crouching at the door trying to get us, and we have to hate it. Our relationship with it is to hate it and despise it and begging God to help us to see it as he sees it. He hated sin enough that he sent his own son to die a sinner's death on a cross for your sin. Because that's how much he hates your sin and how much he loves you. So we should be our desire, our passion in our life should be that we hate the sin as well. That's right. Amen. And listen, I'm not I'm not judging you about your sin. Okay? I mean, I talk about the, the burger and the pizza. I mean, that, that was me. <laughs> that was me last week. <laughs> we're all we're all dealing with the things in our life, but we have to have a we can't have a relationship with it where we just think like, ah, eh, it's no big deal. Thank you, God. Thanks for the forgiveness, but, you know, whatever. I'll probably do it again tomorrow. Big deal. You know, James tells us that we are to confess our sins one to another so that we will be healed. Well, that's a forgotten principle in the church. When's the last time someone's come up to you and said, Man, I'm really struggling with jealousy. I'm so jealous of my my best friend, I can't hardly stand it. No, we don't do that. We act like we're happy for them. Oh, I'm excited they got another raise. Or if someone come to you and said, man, I'm just really struggling with greed. I mean, all I think about is money. All I wanna do is make more money. And the more money I make, the more I want. And I just wanna spend and spend and spend. And if I don't have the newest iPhone and a brand new car, I'm just not content. I'm really struggling with greed. Please pray with me. Never hear it. You never hear it. Even though I, we know it's a huge thing. We live in a very prosperous nation. Greed is huge. We all struggle with it. It doesn't matter where you are in life. You could easily struggle with greed. And, pornography is an epidemic among people in the United States, not even just men anymore. Now it's women and men because it's so easily accessible. And I, I mean, I know the statistics about pornography in the church and it's shocking. Yet I've had one person come to me in the last five years and say, please pray for me. I'm struggling with porn. One person. Part of that is because it's shameful, right? We don't want to admit it. We kind of hide it. We, that's our relationship with sin is to hide it because of the shame that's playing exactly into the enemy's hand. That's exactly what he wants. It's amazing when you actually come to someone and say, hey, I'm struggling with this, and you think, oh man, they're going to judge me, but here goes, I'm going to do it. You pull it off like a band-aid and you tell them, and you're shocked to realize, oh, I'm struggling with that too. I didn't want to bring it up though. And you can end up praying for each other and holding each other accountable, and it can be a beautiful thing, but yet we just can't get in the habit of doing that. We just hide it, condone it, and sometimes even love it, but this will not this will completely hinder the construction that God wants to do in building your spiritual house in your life. And and puts us in sometimes in danger of getting to that place where we can even reject our faith or live such a shallow faith that it just really doesn't have much fruit in our life. And that's not God's plan for any of us. His heart for you is that you would be able to thrive in your faith, but that you would choose the creator over the creation. You know, he's given us a lot of stuff in this world, but it's all designed to point us back to him. Everything good in your life is designed to point you back to him. Your marriage, your friendships, your job, your money, everything in your life is designed to point you back to him. Yet too oftentimes times we say, hey, God, thanks for the stuff, but I think I'm good. Because we don't hate our sin. We don't hate it like we should. And I know we're all guilty of it. And it's, it's a matter of coming to God and saying, God, would you help me to hate my sin? Help me to see it as you see it. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear what you're wanting to do in my life. To be reminded of the gospel. To be reminded that our sin is what pinned Jesus on that cross. And that should move our hearts. That should break our hearts. That should make us want to repent and turn away from it. Now, does it mean we'll never slip up again? Of course not. But, the, but God forbid we'd ever get to that place where it's just kind of a shoulder shrug. Like it just kind of is what it is. You know, because that's not God's heart for any of us. Praise God. Would you stand with me, please? I I need to close. I want to pray for us this morning, this afternoon. I want to encourage you to come to the altar if you'd like. I would pray for you up here at this altar. Because we need God so desperately in our hearts, church, to help us to hate the sin in our life to reject the moral code that we so often subscribe to in our life, and to make sure we're always remembering that the gospel is offensive to our sin nature, and when there's something in us that is keeping us or stirring doubt in our heart, that we always need to go back to the gospel. I started this series talking about the gospel because we're talking about the building blocks of faith, and the gospel is the foundation. It is the foundation. We can't build our faith on anything other than the cross of Christ. It has to be built on that or else we labor in vain. So I'm gonna pray for us today. I just encourage you just now to even just quiet your heart. Just ask the Lord to search your heart, what he would wanna show you today, where you have gone off track, maybe you have believed something that's not true, maybe you have subscribed to this moral code and you realize you're just trying to be a good Christian. I remember the moment where I realized that I was just trying to be a good Christian and I was never going to be good enough and I could tell you, I was reading a book and the book was talking about it and I remember like it was yesterday because I was so offended because by this time in my life I was I was saved and I was trying hard to be a good Christian. I was, I was on the mission field when it hit me that I was working. I was living out this moral code and I was so offended when I read this, partly because I knew it was true and also because I knew I was wasting my time all this time before this. We have to get to that place where we realize we're not good enough. The only reason that you or I ever gets to have any relationship with Jesus or go to heaven is because of Jesus and what he did for us. That's the only thing that's good in any one of us is his spirit leading us and directing us to him. Let's remember that as we pray today. Pray with me. Church, I just encourage you to respond. If you want to lift your hands, if you want to kneel, close your eyes, bow your head. But let's not, let's not neglect this moment that we have right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word because it is your word that transforms us. It is your word that is life to our bodies. God, we bless you today. We thank you today for the gospel. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you came to this earth, that you lived and you died a sinner's death and took my sin upon you as you went to the cross and that you rose three days later, and that now you are at the right hand of the Father, and you are interceding for me. God, I thank you for that today, and I thank you that my goodness is nothing but filthy rags, but I don't come to you today because of my goodness. I come to you today because I believe that you are who you say you are, and I give you my life. And I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice that that is struggling to give you their life, Lord, that you would give them the courage to do it, that you would help them to experience your grace, Lord, that life-changing, heart-changing, destiny-changing grace that is so beautiful. Lord, let us receive it. Let us experience it. Let us know that it is real, and it is the greatest thing in all the universe. We thank you for that today. Lord, would you help us to hate our sin? God, would you help us to hate it as you hate it, That that we would break up with sin in our life, Lord, that we would not condone it, that we would not have a apathetic relationship towards it but God that we would hate it not that we're going to be perfect Lord but that we would have your eyes to see it and Lord would you forgive us where we have condoned it where we have said ah it's not a big deal a little bit of sin ain't going to kill me Lord forgive us for where we have belittled your work on the cross we know that it is the power of the cross that sets us free from sin Lord, help us to walk that out today. We take back any authority, any rights, any power we gave to the enemy over our lives today. We take it back in the name of Jesus. By the blood of the lamb, we are free. We are safe. We are secure in our faith and in our salvation. And we thank you for it today, Lord. We bless your holy and precious name, Jesus. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you're gonna continue to do in our lives. And would you minister to us and transform us as we go through this series, God, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Let's praise God one more time. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Thank God.